Good morning, everyone. It is indeed a joy to be back with you, and thank you to the leadership for kindly inviting me. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's a very well-known passage, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just going to read a number of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 1. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And moving down to verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. I didn't read the portion from this passage that spoke uh, of God calling Samuel, and that's a portion that's very popular with children, how that God called the young boy Samuel. It's popular with children simply because Samuel was a young boy. But in the book of Samuel, and indeed we see evidence of it in the passage I have read, there is an important theme that I want us to consider this morning. And it's this theme of vision. Vision is a word we hear so much these days. What's your vision for your future, someone may ask you. A pastor might outline his vision for the church under his care. It's a word we hear a lot of these days. But if you think of this word vision very simply, the word vision simply speaks of having the ability to see. And we see this theme of vision emerge in this book of 1 Samuel. We see it in the portion we read this morning. We read that Eli's eyesight had begun to fail. 
Now, although that was speaking about his physical eyesight, there is an implication here, and the Scripture bears it out, that not only was his physical eyesight deteriorating, but also his spiritual eyesight, his spiritual perception, his spiritual vision was also deteriorating. He could no longer discern right from wrong. We see this theme of vision further emerging. There's a reference here to the lamp of the Lord. A lamp provides light in a dark place. If you've ever found yourself in a dark environment, a lamp or a torch will give you light. It will give you a degree of vision to be able to see and pick steps for your feet and navigate your way out to an area where there's adequate light. We see this theme of vision. Even later on in life, Samuel was called a seer. And seer comes from the word see. God gifted him to enable him see prophetically into the lives and situations of individuals as well as the nation as a whole. And so while we perhaps think of God calling Samuel and and we, we were blessed by reading that story and we share it with our children, it's important that we grasp there's another lesson here. And God, I believe, wants to teach his children more about the importance of spiritual vision. How's your spiritual eyesight this morning? I'm sure many of us have been to Specsavers for our physical eyesight, but what about a spiritual eye test? How are you seeing spiritually? Whenever I think of vision from a biblical and spiritual standpoint, vision, I believe, includes the whole area of hearing God speak. We believe that God speaks today. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Those of us who are born again couldn't have been so unless we first heard God speak to us and draw us to himself. Vision not only includes the ability to hear God's voice, it also includes the whole area of discernment being able to discern, differentiate between truth and error, right from wrong, what pleases God, what displeases Him. In this whole area of vision, the Word of God is included. The psalmist, and Brian quoted it this morning, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It enables us to see and pick steps for our feet in accordance with God's will and purpose for our lives. And this area of vision also includes the ability to look at our situations in life, not purely from a natural, practical, common sense perspective, important as that is, but it also enables us to see our circumstances from heaven's perspective, to see them in light of God's overall plan and purpose for our lives. Now, you might be here this morning, and when I talk about spiritual vision, you might feel maybe a bit uncomfortable with that. But let me reassure you, it's thoroughly biblical. The last chorus we sang testifies to it. Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. What does the next line say? Was blind, not physically blind, was blind, but now I see. 
God opened our eyes to the reality of who we were in light of his glory and grace that we needed a savior. But when God opened our eyes at salvation and caused us to see, do you know he still wants us to continually be able to see in that vein as we journey through life? We used to, well, it's, it's an old course, but I'm sure many of you know it, turn your eyes upon Jesus, not your physical eyes, because we can't see him, but our spiritual eyes. See him in light of his glory and grace, in light of his word. Open my eyes, Lord. We sing choruses to that effect. So don't let the term spiritual vision make you feel uncomfortable. It's thoroughly biblical. King Solomon, in Proverbs 29, made this statement. Without a vision, without the ability to hear from God and discern right from wrong and see situations from his perspective, without a vision, he said, people perish. One translation puts it like this, without a prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. And that describes perfectly the nation of Israel at the time of the birth of Samuel. You see, 1 Samuel opens in the period of the Judges. If you're familiar with the book of Judges or have read it recently, one phrase you will encounter on more than one occasion is this, or words to this effect, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right, not in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of the law, but in light of his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And if you read through the book of Judges, there are some very gruesome events that took place. And that is the result of man doing what was right in his own eyes, people casting off restraint. Why? Because they had no vision. They just did what they deemed to be right in their own eyes. And because of that, the nation of Israel was just plunged into chaos. There was disorder, disarray, sin was rampant, there was corruption, there was apostasy. And it even spilled over into the priesthood. In Judges 17 through 21, we read of corrupt Levites. And that's significant because the priests were chosen from the tribe of Levi. And this corruption spilled over into the priesthood under Eli, who's high priest in our passage this morning. All of this because people did what was right in their own eyes. And because of this, because of the sin, the apostasy, Israel was unfruitful, unproductive, and barren, and would continue to be so under Eli's priesthood. And then we have this young woman called Hannah. And Hannah, in a sense, personifies the nation at that time, because Hannah's name means favored one, just like Israel as the nation was God's chosen people. But like the nation, Hannah, though she's a favored one, she's barren. 
not because of sin in her case, but she's barren like the nation. And in her desperation, she cries out to God for a son. And God opens her womb and answers her prayer, and the boy Samuel is born. And after his birth in 1 Samuel 2, Hannah prays a prayer. And included in that petition, there is a prophetic statement that God would bring social upheaval to the nation. And he did so through her very son. Little, she didn't know that at the time. And then God sends a prophet to Eli. And this prophet chastises Eli. He speaks of two priesthoods, a corrupt priesthood that's right in front of Eli's eyes. But he also spoke of raising up a faithful high priest. You see, the priesthood under Eli was corrupt. Eli was the high priest. His two sons were priests under him, but they were living a lifestyle of sin. Corruption abounded. When people would bring meat to offer sacrifices to God, these two sons of Eli, these two priests, God's representatives, would take the best of the cuts, the ribeye, the sirloin steak pieces. They took it, they gorged it, they gorged on them. What was set aside and offered to God, they took for themselves. And they were carving out a very comfortable existence, a very lavish lifestyle at the expense of the people. And Eli did not discipline his sons. In fact, he feasted on the fruits of their corruption because he began to feed on the best cuts also. And he grew fat and heavy with prosperity. And the Apostle Paul says, they who sow to the flesh will reap corruption. And later on in life, Eli's just living that life of luxury, grows heavy, falls off his chair, breaks his neck, and dies. Corruption. And you see, because Israel did what was right in her own eyes, because of that lack of spiritual perception, because of having no vision. That's the way the nation ended up. And in verse 1 of our, our text this morning, because of that, we read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Again, we're, we're coming back to this theme of vision. And because the word of the Lord was rare, because there was no frequent vision, it was precious. There was no frequent vision. There was a lack of spiritual perception. And may that not be true for you and for me. May we be a people of vision. Do you know something that I find quite ironic and somewhat amusing? Last year was the year 2020. And if you were on social media at the beginning of last year, you couldn't help but notice how many pastors and preachers were making much of the fact that last year was the year 2020. And they were saying, this is the year to have 2020 vision. Now, 2020 vision is the benchmark, the standard to determine whether one has got good eyesight. 
But many pastors and preachers were taking that standard in the, in the whole area of, of optics, and they were applying it to the spiritual and saying, this is the year of 2020 vision to see what God is going to do for you. And what I find ironic about this and somewhat amusement, despite having and encouraging that this was the year of 2020 vision, none of them saw COVID-19 coming. None of them. And what's further ironic is that many towards the end of last year, the year of having 2020 vision, were prophetically, publicly saying that President Trump would win the election and be re-elected and serve another term in office. Didn't happen. Now, none of that takes away from the importance of having spiritual perception, discernment, being able to see situations, being able to take a step back and say, God, what are you saying? Let me see what is happening in my life right now in light of your overall plan and purpose and will for my life. We need to be a people who are spiritually perceptive. We need to be a people who have spiritual vision. Think about it even from the natural point of view. Think of all the scams that are going about, and we have to be so alert and so aware. We have to be discerning when it comes to the natural. People are discerning about their health, the kind of foods they eat. They look at ingredients on food packets and tins. How much more do we need to be a perceptive people when it comes to the kingdom of God and the, the building of the church of Jesus Christ? I like what Paul said as he prayed for the church at Ephesus. He prayed that God would give them a spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they might know the hope to which they were called, the glorious inheritance of the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward them. You see, we will only know the hope to which we're called. We'll only know that inheritance purchased for us at Calvary. We will only know the immeasurable greatness of his power if our eyesight hath first been quickened, enlightened, opened to see and to grasp and behold what God has provided for us in Christ. Without vision, people perish. The word of the Lord, may it not be rare. May there be no infrequent vision in our lives. I pray that be so. In 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verses 11 and 18, you needn't turn to it, but I just want for a moment or two to contrast this young man, Samuel, with indeed Eli and Eli's two sons. But in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 11 and 18, we read in both those verses that Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Now, ministering to the Lord in Samuel's context would have involved prayer, obviously, the study of the Scriptures, and also serving the Lord. Do you know what Samuel's role of service specifically, we're told, was? He opened and closed the door of the tabernacle every day. Now, opening and closing a door 
is something we would consider to be very ordinary, very trivial. But yet, when it came to the tabernacle, when it came to God's house, it was something that God required, and Samuel carried out that duty very faithfully indeed. He ministered to the Lord. Now, it's interesting because in verses 11 and 18, Samuel is spoken of ministering to the Lord, and though there are seven verses in between, the writer deliberately mentions that to contrast Samuel's faithfulness and devotion to God with the corruption of Eli's two sons. Samuel gives us the example. This is the man who would go on to become a seer, to prophetically see situations and the situation of the nation from God's perspective. And at this young age, he demonstrates faithfulness to God. Look at verse 2. Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. His spiritual vision had begun to grow dim also. He, he failed to discern right from wrong. In fact, whenever Hannah was desperate for a child, Eli thought she was drunk. He had no discernment. He could observe the moving of her lips, but he couldn't discern the desire and desperation of her heart. And this is God's representative, the high priest. He didn't model a good example. But I want us to consider, and I think there's a link here, that tells us a reason why Eli's discernment, his spiritual vision began to deteriorate. Because it goes on to say, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, listen to this, was lying down in his own place his own place. Eli carved out a very comfortable, luxurious existence for himself, feeding on the corrupt fruits of his two sons, taking the choice, choicest of the cuts of meat, and he's lying down in his own place, not God's place, his own place, that place of comfort, that place of ease, and you see, the psalmist tells us in Psalms 115 and 135 that effectively, if we put anything or anyone before God, in other words, he's speaking of idolatry, he says we become like that very idol that we put our trust in. And he spells that out, how that functions in day-to-day -day living. If you for a moment can just think of an idol, and you've seen pictures and Maybe you've been in countries where, where, where this is quite rampant. But if you think of an idol in terms of, of a stone, of a statue, and you see that statue that people bow down to, and that statue has got eyes and it's got ears, but it hasn't got any life. Even though there are appearance of eyes and ears, it can't see and it can't hear. And the psalmist says, they who put their trust in idols become like the idol in the sense they have eyes, but they can't see ears, but they can't hear. In other words, they lose the ability to be spiritually perceptive. They can't see. They can't see the way God sees in situations. No spiritual vision. And because Eli carved out a comfortable existence, preferred his own place to God's place, he effectively 
was putting himself before God. And idolatry is anything or anyone that comes between us and God, including ourselves. You see, if our eyes are on self, they're not on God. And if anything or anyone, including ourselves, come between us and God, we lose the ability to discern. Our spiritual vision deteriorates. I'm reminded of a song that Keith Green used to sing. One line in that song says this, O Lord, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And that spells out and summarizes Eli lying down in his own place. Now contrast that with what the Scripture says about Samuel. Samuel, end of verse 3, it says, was lying down, not in his own place, in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Not only was he in the temple, but specifically he was in that area of the temple where the ark of God was. In other words, to put it into 21st century language, he was in the presence of God. He chose to be there. In contrast to the high priest who was lying down in his own place. But Samuel was lying down in the place where the ark of God was. And we read that the lamp of God, it says, had not yet gone out. Now, the lamp of God in the tabernacle was never supposed to go out. But the fact that it specifically said it had not yet gone out suggests, because of the apostasy of the nation, that it was on the brink of being extinguished. But God raised up this young man, Samuel, who in a sense would be the savior at that time to, to rescue the people, to get the nation back on track, to realign it with God's purposes. And then, of course, I, I didn't read it this morning for time's sake, but you have that part where God calls the young boy Samuel, and Samuel doesn't recognize at first the voice of God. And there's something we can learn there. Because, you see, the voice of God doesn't come to you with thunder and lightning. We can be so focused on the spectacular, just to, to, to hear the, uh, 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 the wind blowing into our bedroom and, and a voice speaking from heaven. The voice of God is so natural, so natural that Samuel actually thought it was Eli calling him. If you like, God's voice is naturally supernatural. But he heard the voice of God. And if we want to be a people who hear his voice and have our spiritual vision sharp, there's one caveat that I need to say, and we see it in Samuel's account. Sometimes God might share something with you that can be very uncomfortable. You see, what God spoke to Samuel had serious ramifications for Eli and his household. And we read that upon hearing God's voice, Samuel lay until the morning. He didn't go back to sleep. I don't think he could sleep. 
He lay until the morning probably wrestling with this. How am I going to communicate this to, to my mentor, the high priest? And when Samuel got up that morning, we read that uh, again, he, verse 15, he opened the doors of the tabernacle. This was his daily duty. He had two tasks that day. He had to do his daily duty in opening the doors, and he had to deliver a word to the high priest. But verse 15 tells us, Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And I want to suggest, not only was Samuel going through, was, was discharging his daily duty in his service for God in, in opening the doors, but because he had a word to deliver, a very difficult word, the fact that he opened the doors that morning, I wonder was it also signifying, and I believe it was, a new day for the nation of Israel. One young boy with a word from God affecting the destiny of a nation. I wonder. He gets the word, delivers it to Eli. And that sets Samuel on the road to growing and maturing in spiritual perception. Notice what it says as you get to, to the end of, of the chapter. In verse 19, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, as Samuel grew and moved on from learning to hear God's voice that night, and it took him a few times to actually grasp that it was God speaking to him. Notice how he moved on from that to where we're told that God let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, everything Samuel spoke prophetically came to pass exactly. And the nation recognized, verse 20, that he was established as a prophet of the Lord. He became a seer. He could see prophetically. So much so that whenever God was about to, to choose a king to replace Saul, and Jesse brings out his sons, The word of the Lord came to Samuel and enabled Samuel to see something in David that others couldn't see. As the song goes, some might see a shepherd boy, but others see a king. We're not all called to be seers or prophets, but as children of God, we are all called and gifted with the ability to hear God's voice. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and they follow me. He's given us, everyone, that ability to hear his voice. He's given us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that we might know the hope to which we're called, that we might know that glorious inheritance of the, in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. He's given us the ability 
to see our circumstances from his perspective. In the book of James, it says, consider it all joy when you fall into times of trial. But then he goes on to say in the same passage, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask God. God gives wisdom to enable us see our trials and circumstances from his perspective and how to make sense of them. He opens our eyes and enables us to see, not only from the practical common sense, as important as that is, but from his perspective. That's why, and let me just use an example just to maybe illustrate this. I'm not very DIY-minded. If I go to Ikea or something and buy flat pack furniture, I get the instructions, find where it says it in English and look and this, that, and I could be all day. But someone who's gifted with their hands and maybe their, their, their profession involves making things out of wood or whatever can take one look at the, the photograph on the box of that furniture, one look at the instructions, the materials, and assemble that in minutes because they have the ability to look, assess what's required, and know exactly what to do. And I believe the Lord wants to give every one of us that sense from His Spirit in accordance with and through His Word that whatever situation we're confronted with, we can take a step back, shut ourselves in with the Lord, seek His face, ask Him, and He'll open our eyes and cause us to see it. Because you know as well as I do, when you're first confronted with a situation, sometimes reactions such as fear and panic just instantly strike. But it's only as we step back and bring them before God, God begins to shed light and speak and show things. And I don't know about you, but I think that's an exciting way to live. And my prayer is today that every one of us will know that reality day to day in our walk with the Lord individually and in our churches. Amen. Bless you. Thank you.